Jesus and his great grace and his hope and his peace. We pray that we would find these things in you. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Uh, sometimes knowing uh, the end of the story helps. Cheryl and I, as soon as we saw the preview uh, for Top Gun Maverick, we knew we had to see it. Uh, we're both in our 40s, and we are the demographic of, of the original Top Gun. We were the marketing behind uh, Top Gun Maverick. They were trying to get our generation in to see it again, and we were really, really excited about seeing it. Uh, and so we decided to do that, and I'll tell you, uh, for my 46-year-old mind, it was awesome. I, we, we saw it last Saturday. I think I preached a little bit better because I saw that movie on Saturday. I was, I was jacked up, ready to go. That movie was awesome. Uh, but we knew before we saw Top Gun Maverick, we should probably re-watch the original. Uh, and so when we were away from Memorial Day, we fired up Netflix and uh, we decided uh, to watch it. And I remember 12-year-old me watching that movie feeling all this emotion and all of this tension as I watched the original. And this time, I just kind of knew what was going to happen, right? I, I knew the ending. I knew the storyline. And there were some waves of emotion. I'm not crying. You're crying, right? There was some of that. But it was in the context of nostalgia, right? Because I knew how it was going to end. And because of that, as the story unfolded, the tension was just less, the same is true of our faith. If you walk around this world at all, you know that there's some tension in our world, uh, some fear, some anxiety. And what we want to do today with this sermon is we just want to look at the back of the book for a minute. We want to see how it all ends. And my prayer is that this would just be enormously encouraging to us as we're navigating tension, as we're navigating fear, as we're navigating anxiety, just to say, all right, God is working his eternal plan. God's got it in control. And in the end, through his power and his perfection, he's going to work it all out. Here's how Tim Keller, uh, the, he had a series of tweets that kind of inspired this series. Here's how he says it. Christianity offers a unique hope for the world, not eventual nothingness, that's secularism, and not even mere spiritual paradise, that's other religions. It promises a renewed perfect physical world, a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So in short, Christianity offers hope. Right, and so I wanted, uh, um, I, I wanted uh, in order to understand the end of the book, I think we need to understand the beginning because they are so closely connected, as I'm going to show you here in just a minute. They are so closely connected that to understand one, you have to understand the other. And so way back in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the very first kind of sentence in the Bible. And God created a place called Eden. He built a garden where he had, prom he had uh, intended and planned to live forever with his people and he gave them kind of two choices of, of fruit to eat. He said, you can uh, eat from the, the, the tree of life and live here forever under my rule and reign, or there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of it, you'll be kind of defying my commands and uh, you, you won't be able to live under my, my rule and reign in this garden. And you remember how the story goes, they eat the wrong fruit, fruit the forbidden fruit. And God, dis God discovers this, and as you read Genesis 3, he ends up pronouncing kind of a curse on all of creation. Now, 
let's pause there just for a minute. Because I said, wait, God like cursed the world. I think you have to understand kind of the Hebrew origin of that just a little bit because it is a jolting word. Here's what it means is that God says to the man and woman, because of what you've done, certain things are going to be the reality now that were not the reality before. That's all God is saying with the word curse there, that certain things are going to be a reality now because you defied my rule and reign, you ate the forbidden fruit, you you brought sin into the world. Certain things are going to be a reality now that were not a reality before, and those realities you are powerless to change. Welcome to Northwest. We're glad you're here, right? It's a very, very happy message. But to understand the back of the book, you've got to understand the beginning. So God pronounces these curses and things change. So what are those things? Well, because sin entered the world on the screen for you, sometimes seeing God is hard now. So you may remember in Genesis 1 and 2, God kind of walked through the garden in the cool of the day. He uh, interacted with the man and the woman. He lived in the garden with them, and they were absolutely in community with, with each other. And now we see a separation between God and his creation, that the man and the woman are banned from the garden. And I want you to see the grace of that, first of all. The grace behind them being banned from the garden is that God didn't want them to eat from the tree of life in their sinful state and live forever in that garden garden as sin, as a sinful entity. He wanted to deal with sin. He wanted to handle sin. And so he bans them from the garden. But what that means is there's now separation between God and man. And it's sometimes difficult in this fallen world to see and hear from God. And we've all felt that way, that you're praying and you're searching and you're trying to connect. And some days, not every day, because of Jesus, we can connect with God. But some days, it feels like he's not there, or he's not listening, or he's far away. In this fallen world, it can be hard to see God. Because sin entered the world, human relationships are now strained, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates the man, he puts the man into a sleep Uh, and he uh, ends up kind of pulling a rib from the man, and he creates the woman. And the first thing the man does is he writes music, right? Guys, you got to step up your game a little bit, right? He writes a song, and he sings this uh, poetic song to this woman uh, that, that he thinks is so beautiful. And then by Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, you know the first thing Adam says when he's confronted with this sin? is It's not a song. It's this woman that you created. This is her fault, right? And all of a sudden, they're blaming each other. And so we find that because sin entered the world, human relationships, not just between husbands and wives, but all human relationships are now hard. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Because the person that you loved and the person you were married to chose to walk out the door. The friend that you thought you'd be friends forever, they cut off ties. A church that you loved ended up in crisis and conflict, and relationships were just torn apart. Relationships are hard in the fallen world. Because sin entered the world, the earth itself doesn't work right. Right? God alludes to this fact in Genesis 3 when he's pronouncing the curse. He says that now you're going to have to deal with weeds and thistles, Adam. Yes, weeds are from Satan. Right? That, that the whole earth... As Romans says, Romans says it's groaning under the weight of our sinful and fallen world. Our earth is not functioning the way that it should. It always amazes me when we have a natural disaster or a crisis of some kind, people are always quick to say, how could God allow that to happen? And I understand the question, but those things happen not as the result of God's choice. Those are the result of a choice made thousands of years ago 
when the forbidden fruit was eaten and sin entered the world, our world does not function the way that it should. Romans says, the whole earth is groaning. Because sin entered the world, our bodies don't work right. That's the next thing we see, right? That our bodies, that they were originally designed to, to live forever, and now once sin entered the world, now our bodies become temporary. And here's what we know about temporary things. They tend to break down. One of the first really, really stupid purchases I ever made was I bought a brand new car. I bought a, a Oldsmobile Intrigue, and my dad had worked for Oldsmobile, so I got a little bit of a discount, but the truth of the matter is I couldn't afford this car. Uh, and it was a dumb purchase, but I remember my very first road trip with this car, I'm speeding down the highway, and I come around the curb, and traffic is at a dead stop. And I was forced to slam on my brakes, it was raining out, so I started to skid, I went into the ditch, and I just destroyed one of my tires. I had my car a week. And it was already costing me hundreds of dollars to get it repaired. Temporary things are fragile. They fade. They break down. And what's true of my Oldsmobile intrigue is true of my 46-year-old body too, right? Sometimes I go too fast and a tire blows, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, here's how Romans says it. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. We looked at this a couple weeks ago in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Our bodies are in a bondage to decay. Thanks, Paul. They don't work the way that they should, and every single person in this room has been affected by this or knows someone that's been affected by this. When you're in the waiting room waiting for surgery, you've been affected by this. When you've been in the doctor's office and you've gotten terrible news, you've been affected by this. When you're lying at home sick, You've been affected by this. The last two years of COVID, we've all been affected by this. Our bodies are in a state of decay because it's a long time ago, our bodies moved from being eternal bodies to temporary bodies, so they don't work the way they were designed to work. So here's what scripture says. At some point, we have no idea when, at some point, God from heaven is gonna look down at earth and he's gonna have had enough. Enough of our suffering, enough of our brokenness, enough of our pain, and he's going to give Jesus a wink and a nod. That's my translation of it, right? The Bible, the Bible doesn't say that, but that's how I always picture it. Right? You know, I picture it you know, because I love these great movies or whatever. It's like, it's time, right? That sort of thing, right? I picture it being very dramatic, and Jesus is going to return. And you may find yourself wondering, as I sometimes do, well, what on earth is taking him so long? Right? What kind of compassionate God is he? What is taking so long? And the Bible would actually teach that the reason he's taking so long is compassion. That he wants every single person to hear the message. He wants every single person to have an opportunity to come into a saving relationship with him. So he's wait, waiting, possibly for you, possibly for your loved one, because he loves them so much. But at some point, church, the waiting will be over. And he's going to return to earth. And let me tell you something. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He is not going to return as a little baby like he did the first time he came. Right? The first time he came as a symbol of grace, a baby. Because his mission that time was to connect us to God, to make it possible to enter into a relationship with him in this life and in the next. The second time he's coming, it will not be as a baby. The second time he's coming, he's coming as a warrior. Here's what the scripture teaches. 
Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and before me there was a white horse. This is... This would make a great movie, right? Whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He's the king of everything. He has his name written on him that no one knows but he himself. What's that guy's name? Only I know, right? He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword at which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, and on his robe, on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, oh, that'll preach, right? That'll preach, right? Someday he is going to return as a warrior with a sword in his mouth because this time his mission is to fight and destroy Satan and sin and death and temptation and he is going to destroy it on that day forever. And on that day, he will take those who have been found in Christ Jesus, those that are forgiven, to live in a place that he has been preparing for us for 2,000 years. And here's what Revelation 22.3 says about that place on the screen for you. It says, no longer will there be any curse. You see, God said to Adam and Eve, because of what you have done, sin has entered the world. And certain realities that were not realities before are realities now, and you are powerless to overcome them. But how many of you know that scripture I just read about Jesus? He is not powerless. We may be powerless to overcome them. He is not powerless to overcome them. And on the day that he returns, he will overcome them. With fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and a tattoo that says, King of kings and Lord of lords, he will return and destroy sin and Satan and death forever. And that is an amazing truth. That is a little peek into the back of the book. Right? And so what does... Uh, what does our role look like? All right? what, what does it mean that he is powerful and he has overcome these things? What does it mean that the curse is broken? Here's what Revelation 21 teaches. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every single tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. 
The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. So here's what I want you to see. When Jesus returns, now that the curse has been broken, we know that our relationship with God is made perfect. That what started in this life, because the breaking of the curse is starting, we'll talk about this in a minute, it is starting now and today. It started way back at the time of Jesus. What started in this life will continue through to the next life in perfection. Listen to the words of the text. Now, all right, before they were kind of banished from the garden, and now it says, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So amazing that never again will God feel far off. Never again will we have to wonder, is he hearing me? Never again will we wonder where he is. He's the one on the seat, on the throne. Just look up and you'll see him, right? God will live among us and he will be our God and we will be his people. And we know that seeing God face to face will lead us to worship him. But I sometimes wonder, what will it be like to have direct contact with God in that way? Some of you like, have like questions, right? I do too. Like I got some things. When I get to heaven, we, we kind of you know, walk around with this little stress. I got things I'm going to ask, and maybe you will. Or maybe when you see Jesus return, you will have this thought, I have no more questions. My questions are no more. So I don't know how it's going to work, but I know he is going to be in the center of it. And we will know him and be able to speak to him. And he will speak to us, and it's going to be perfect. Now that the curse is broken, physical beauty is going to be incredible. Let me put it to you this way. It took God six days to create the heavens and the earth. He has been working on this new Jerusalem, new city, new heaven, new earth for 2,000 years. Six days, 2,000 years. It's going to be incredible. No more will the whole creation be groaning. No more will the trials of this world overtake us, earthquakes, tornadoes, or anything like that. All of creation will function the way that it should. And one of the ways that it will be seen is incredible beauty. Now, I don't know if the book of Revelation is like literal, right? And, and neither do you, and neither does anyone that's trying to sell you their best-selling book on it, right? No, nobody really knows. But I sometimes wonder, like, are the streets really gold? Are, are the walls really made of emeralds? Or is God just like, I don't know how to describe the beauty of this place to you. The most precious commodity that you have, that's the streets, right? The walls are these beautiful emeralds. I don't know if it's literal or figurative. If it's literal, it's going to be beautiful, if it's figurative, it's going to be beautiful because God's like, I can't even figure out the words. Right? So let, let me just put it into something you can understand. Either way is okay. Now that the curse is broken, we know that in heaven, our bodies are going to work and be different. Right? We know that as we make the transition from physical bodies back to eternal bodies, the way they were intended to be from the beginning, that things are going to change, and that's amazing. Here our sec here's how 2 Corinthians 5 says it. We know that if the earthly tents that we live in are destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, 
We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by, his, by, by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So he makes this comparison. He's like, think of these all right, as earthly tents. He says, if the earthly tents we live in are someday destroyed, we are going to receive a spiritual building from God, brand new, forever. And we don't know exactly what these look like, but we know we can determine some things by looking at Jesus because he went to the cross, he died for our sins. Three days later, he resurrected and kind of walked around the earth for a little bit. And so we get kind of a glimpse of seeing what a resurrected person looks like. Right? And so we know a couple of things about Jesus' resurrected body. We know that people didn't exactly immediately recognize his body, but they did recognize his spirit. So when people saw Jesus for the first time, you remember that story where they thought maybe he was the gardener? Right? They'd just seen him like three, four days before. But when they saw him, they're like, oh, this must be the gardener. So they didn't immediately recognize him physically. But when he began to talk, they were like, oh, my Lord. So they recognized him via his spirit. And so will we recognize one another in heaven? Yes, we will. But not by body. Our bodies are going to change. We will recognize one another by the spirit inside, the spirit of Christ that he has placed inside of us. So, yes, I'll know Cheryl and my kids, not by the way they look, but by the way they are. Their, their true self, their, their, their spiritual self. So, yeah, we'll recognize each other. We know that Jesus um, ate in that time, post-resurrection. Glory to Jesus, amen. He ate, right? And one of the dominant kind of descriptions of heaven in the Bible is like it's a banquet. And so, yes, they'll be eating in heaven. Uh, absolutely zero calories for cheesecake and steak and all that. And, you know, it's glory to God, right? So he ate. We know that he was able to experience touch, that his disciples touched the holes in, in his hands. But we also know he was able to like walk through walls and uh, do certain extraordinary things. And so I think in some ways, right, it's not a perfect illustration of looking at Jesus in this way, but in some ways we can kind of imagine what that will be like, that we're going to have bodies for sure. We're going to have bodies, but they're going to be different. So in heaven, if you want to dunk the basketball, you can dunk the basketball, right? If you want to be a better dancer, you can be a better dancer. That the laws of gravity and physics that restrain us now will be erased. And so we know that in terms of our bodies, the best part is going to be that the curse of death, the curse of sin is going to be broken. Listen to the words again of Revelation 21. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. No more funerals or doctors or visit, doctor's visits or chronic pain. We can live forever with God and our new bodies. We know that our relationships with one another will be perfect because the curse is broken. Revelation 22 talks about the tree of life. And it says that the leaves of the trees will be used for the healing of the nations. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, um, but we can think about it together just for a few minutes right now, that you got two nations at war with one another. Uh, some of those soldiers die. They were Christ's followers, but they happen to be on opposite ends of the, of the conflict. These soldiers die. They go to heaven. When they, through Christ, they go to heaven. When they get to heaven, do they just continue the, 
the war? Right? Do they just continue the battle? Do they, does, it, does it just continue to wage on? And John teaches us in Revelation, no. There'll be healing for the nations in heaven. The things that divide us here will not, they'll be healed in heaven. And what's true of the nations? I believe it is true for us personally. Some of you, you wear these relational battle scars, things that have been said to you, things that have been done to you that hurt you deeply, relationships that have caused you great pain and great suffering in, in this life. And, and to be totally honest with you, it, it leads a lot of tension in your life about seeing them in heaven um, so, someday. And I want you to know one of the promises here is that there's relational healing in heaven. There's relational healing in heaven. Not just physical healing, but relational healing. And so we sometimes say this thing about like forgive and forget. And we know that in our earthly way, we cannot do that, right? You know, I, I can forgive you, but man, I, I have a real difficult time forgetting, right? Because our, our brains hold on to these things. I think heaven, in heaven, by the grace of God, we will do both. We'll have forgiven and we will forget that we will be healed. So this is, the curse is going to be broken. You see, it's not eventual nothingness, right? And it's not like uh, some just kind of paradise in that traditional kind of sitting on a cloud doing your own thing all day. No, it is a renewed heaven, a renewed earth with Jesus at the center, bringing healing to our bodies, healing to our world, uh, and, and healing to the nations. That it is going to be a place of absolute perfection. So what do you do with that truth? Knowing the end of the book while you're kind of in the middle of it, which we all are, in the middle of the book, what do you do knowing the end? And the Bible would say several things about this. And thankfully for you and me, they all start with the letter P. All right? So, <laughs> the, so we can remember it. All right? The Bible says, first of all, what, what he would suggest in light of the end of the book is that you pray. This is Peter's perspective. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth. Jesus is going to return someday, destroy sin and death and Satan, and take those that love him and have faith in him to a new reality. What should we do? Paul says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, be self-controlled and alert so that you can pray. Peter, Peter's recommendation is that we pray. And I think we can pray for a lot of things, but one thing we can pray is God, what Jesus taught us is, God, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because uh, the proper narrative of heaven is not just hanging on until someday Jesus returns. It's, man, God, I want some of heaven, while we're here, I want some of heaven to come down here. And I want to see relationships transformed. I want to see people transformed. I want to see people come to a, now a saving knowledge of you. So Peter says, pray. The next thing is live on purpose, that we uh, are praying for, for Jesus' return, but we're also praying for those with whom he's being patient. We're praying for those that are far from him, to know him, and have the hope. This is about hope, having the hope that comes from Jesus. So we want to be intentional about spreading the good news and spreading joy, hope, and peace in Christ. We want to live on purpose. We want to pray, or we want to uh, be prepared, excuse me. We understand that part of what God is doing right now, we talked about this about a month ago, so just forgive me for doing it again, but part of what God is doing right now is he is preparing us to live for eternity. It's part of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so we want to join him in 
that work, that because of Jesus, the breaking of the curse has already begun. Jesus ushered that in. Someday it will be a perfection, but it's already beginning right now. And so we want to kind of prepare ourselves. We want to join the spirit in this work of preparing ourselves for eternity in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want to lean into things like love because we understand that we are going to love people for all of eternity. We want to lean into worship and worshiping passionately because we understand we're gonna do that for all of eternity. We wanna lean into healthy community with one another because we understand we're gonna do that for all of eternity. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're trying to bring the Jesus life into our church and our family and our community, understanding that this is, we're preparing. We're preparing. This is what talks about having a heavenly mindset, not a worldly mindset. That a heavenly mindset is what are the things that are going to last forever? And I want to commit my life to those things. So we prepare. And last thing, and this is the thing the Bible says again and again and again, is persevere. In the book of Revelations, Revelation, I can't believe I just did that. The book of Revelation, my New Testament professor is going to call me this week, all right? <laughs> It's revelation, not revelations. All right, so um, in the book of Revelation, eight separate times, here's what the book says. In view of this reality of heaven, we should overcome. You see, living in this world that is broken, where the curses are still a reality, although Jesus came to start to break those, where the curses are a reality that we are powerless to change, it's easy to be overcome. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to get angry at God, to throw in the towel on faith, to walk away altogether. This is what was happening in the early church, is people were experiencing pain and heartache and persecution, and they're leaving the faith. And John wanted to remind them of the end of the book of heaven and say to them, when, what, when you experience the things of this world, do not be overcome. Instead, overcome. Overcome them. When our bodies break down, when our relationships fall apart, when natural disaster devastates, when God seems far away, it is easy to throw it in and give up. But the Bible says, do not be overcome, but instead overcome. So when your body is overcome by disease, overcome and stay faithful because you know that a new and better day is coming when you will be healed of that disease. When a relationship falls apart and they've said horrible things to you in the process, overcome, knowing that someday there'll be healing for the nations and healing for your relationships and, and someday that disease is going to, that, that, that is going to come when Jesus returns. When God seems far away and you don't know if he's listening to you or you don't know if he's hearing you, he is, but you're just not sure, Overcome. And stay faithful, knowing that someday you will see him face to face. Overcome, overcome, overcome. Do not give in. Uh, do not give up. Do not be overcome. Instead, be an overcomer. The, the book of Revelation will say this eight times. Overcome, 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 overcome. And because of the Holy Spirit, we can. When we face disease, when we face disaster, when we face relational discord, we absolutely, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can overcome and stay faithful and stay true and wait for our King to someday return. And the blood of Jesus helps us to overcome. So let me pray for us right now. Let me pray that we would receive that. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. 
We thank you for his overcoming spirit who he demonstrates on the cross what it looks like to suffer knowing the end of the book, (laughs) what it looks like to go through hardship and difficulty and persecution and not be overcome, but to overcome. And so I want to pray that we would follow his example and right now that we would remember it as we get ready to receive communion, that we would remember his overcoming spirit and that we would be overwhelmed by it, encouraged by it, and that we would receive the power from the Holy Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead would be at work in us so that we too can overcome. This is our faith. We have a faith that overcomes. So I pray for that for each and every person here that is looking at a doctor's visit that they're kind of feeling overwhelmed by, that's looking at a conversation that they don't know how it's going to go, that they're looking at a difficult difficulty that they're just uncertain about. I just want to pray right now that we would be encouraged, knowing that you are at work, you have a plan, someday Jesus will return, but even now, the curse is being broken, and we are able to stay faithful because of the work of Jesus on the cross. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion right now, and we're going to remember that overcoming spirit of Jesus who faced death and difficulty and hardship and persecution and overcame, knowing the end of the book. So I just want to pray that, I I just want to say that I I, I hope we'll be encouraged by communion today. And remember, man, the same spirit that was at work work in Jesus is at work in us, so we too can overcome. So the uh, servers will pass it out. And then uh, I'll come back up in just a few minutes and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would leave this place emboldened by our faith, our overcoming faith. That whatever you face this week, whatever trials may come, whatever difficulty you encounter, that we'd be an overcoming people because we serve an overcoming God. We stand, let's close with one last song. Lead me to the rock, because I need something higher.